Welcome to the Ivy Church podcast. For more podcasts and information about Ivy Church, go to ivychurch.org. Well, welcome to our new series called All About Jesus, because after all, you would think that that's what churches should be about. It should be what we talk about more than anything else. We should keep the main thing the main thing, and churches often get off into all kinds of subjects, but we we really want to focus on who Jesus is. Is And last week we looked at one of the claims that he made about himself and how C.S. Lewis famously asked that if somebody makes these kind of claims, the question we have to answer is, was he mad or was he bad or was he God? Is Jesus liar or lunatic or Lord? And you have to make your own mind up about that. I don't know what you believe about that, whether you share my belief, uh, perhaps that he is and was the eternal son of God who came down from heaven to show us what God is like to uh, live a perfect life and then die on a cross for our sins, then to be raised from the, the grave because it was impossible that death should hold him and that one day he will return in glory to the living and the dead and, and that he's also the only perfect human being who ever walked on this earth who's come to show us how God intended for us to be and to live. Or maybe even in what I've said, you've already got so many questions off the back of that and you're still trying to figure it out. Either way, you're really welcome. If you ask, if you're physically at one of our sites, if you ask, we'll be very happy to give you a small Gospel of John where you can read about some of these claims that Jesus made and the ones that we're looking at today for yourself. Um, Because last week we looked at John chapter 6. And we saw there that Jesus talked about being the bread of heaven. He was saying effectively, everybody needs him. Nobody can live without him. And then he said that he'd come down to earth from heaven, sent by the Father, so that whoever believes in him will not die, but will live forever. Uh, But then it says, when he was saying these kind of things, as we read on here, many people, including those who've been following up until that point, turned away because of these kind of claims. Because following him was no longer popular or easy. And then in John chapter 7, if you want to follow along with me, it starts out here by saying, many of his opponents were now setting traps to accuse him and to have him killed. And so he restricted his movements. Even his own family had their doubts. Did did you know that Jesus had younger brothers and sisters? At this point, they did not believe that he was the Messiah. It's recorded elsewhere. They thought he'd, he'd actually gone mad and they tried to control him and kind of rein him in a little bit. But it was September by this time and a very special feast of the Jewish people was coming up called the Feast of Tabernacles. It was a seven-day autumn festival, still celebrated today when everybody went and lived in tents or booths. They also call it the Festival of Booths as their ancestors had done, because their ancestors lived for 40 years in the desert, in the wilderness. And so they celebrated for this week-long party with um, music and, and, and dieting, dancing and lots and lots of lights. Uh, lights were very important. They would light, um, I mean, this is just a small representation of the kind of thing, but they would light these huge oil-filled braziers and lamps, and they had dances and processions and rituals to remember and to reenact. The, the, the miracles that God did for them in the desert as they went through and how he, he, how, how he brought water out from the rock when they needed it and how he, he gave them the manna in the desert and how he was present with them every day, how he was this bright pillar of cloud 
in the daytime and a pillar of fire at night, that God lit the way literally as they followed him through the wilderness. Now, Jesus' brothers knew that this was one of the three great annual feasts, the other two being Passover and Pentecost, so that tens of thousands of people would be in Jerusalem. And they were all going there in a big group themselves. And then they said to Jesus, basically, look, you're not as popular as you used to be. Lots of people seem to be falling away. You used to, you know, when you fed them with bread and fish, everybody loved that. But then they stopped following you because of that weird stuff you were saying about eat my body and drink my blood. And and nobody really liked that message at all. So if you want now to get yourself a following, it says here, um, why not come with us and all the Galilee gang and we're going to head down to the big light party at Jerusalem. You do some of your teaching, do some of your tricks there or whatever you do and, and get everybody following you again. Get the numbers back up. It's the perfect time. And then Jesus replied here, any time is the right time for you. You can go where you want, when you want. You see, Jesus knew that wasn't for him. Not yet. Jesus knew everything that he did, he had to do according to the Father's timeline, the the plan, the predictions, the prophecies in the Old Testament recorded in advance. He said to them, my time has not yet come. He knew that his enemies, the Pharisees, were out to get him and were watching for him. He knew that before long, yes, he would go to Jerusalem very publicly and there the fickle crowd would welcome him at first with nationalistic fervour as they all waved palm branches, which was like the Israeli flag, really thinking that he'd come to overthrow the Romans. But all of that would happen in spring at the Passover time and that the crowd would turn on him at Passover and that they would then shout crucify him and that he would go and give his life on a cross where he would be the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. Later on though, as we read on it says, he did go to the Feast of Tabernacles but privately. He didn't go in their big group, he didn't arrive in some big showy spectacle like his brother suggested. Seems he took an alternative route and nobody even knew that he was there for the first part of the week until halfway through the week. Then he stood up and started to uh, teach in the temple and everybody was amazed at his teaching as they always were. So again, as always, the choice that people had then when they heard him was mad or bad or God. Because right away, the other Pharisees, all the Pharisees and and the scribes, they were getting really riled up and they were saying, he's an imposter, he's a liar. And then other people were saying, and it says here, oh no, he's a good man. Mad, bad or God. People say all kinds of things about Jesus. Some people just want to make Jesus like them rather than becoming like Jesus. Mikhail Gorbachev, the president of Russia many years ago, said Jesus was the first socialist. The Nazi head of propaganda, Goebbels, said there was no way Jesus Christ was a Jew and he didn't need to prove that, interestingly. See, people paint Jesus whatever colour they prefer him. He's often been depicted as a white man. Others say his name as a swear word when they haven't got anything intelligent to say. Napoleon said, I know men and I tell you that Jesus Christ is no mere man. Between him and every other person in the world, there is no possible term for comparison. Martin Luther King Jr. said, Jesus was an extremist for love, truth and goodness. Gandhi said, Jesus was a man who was completely innocent, who offered himself as a sacrifice for the good of others, including his enemies, and became the ransom for the world. Wow. 
Fyodor Dostoevsky wrote, there is no one deeper, lovelier, more sympathetic and more perfect than Jesus. Not only is there no one else like him, there will never be anybody like him. Van Gogh said, he lived as a greater artist than all other artists. Despising marble and clay, he worked in living flesh. H.G. Wells, who wrote The War of the Worlds, was an avowed atheist, not a believer, but he said, I must confess as a historian that this penniless preacher from Nazareth is irrevocably the very center of history. Jesus Christ is easily the most dominant figure in all history, he said. Prince Philip said, Jesus was an underprivileged working class victim of political and religious persecution. Who do you say Jesus is? You might have read these words uh, from a famous sermon a hundred years ago entitled One Solitary Life. A child was born in an obscure village, the son of a peasant woman. He worked in a carpenter's shop until he was 30. And then for three years, he worked as an itinerant preacher. He never wrote a book, never held an office, he never owned a home. He never had a family, he never put his foot inside a big city. He never travelled more than 200 miles from the place where he was born. He never did one of the things that usually accompany greatness. He had no credentials but himself. He had nothing to offer this world except the naked power of his divine humanity. While still a young man, the tide of popular feeling turned against him. Denied, betrayed, turned over to his enemies. He went through the mockery of a trial. He was nailed to a cross between two thieves. His executioners gambled for the only piece of property he had on earth while he was dying. That was his coat. When he was dead, he was taken down and laid in a borrowed grave through the pity of a friend. Such was his human life. He rises from the dead. Centuries have come and gone, and today he is the centerpiece of the human race and the leader of the column of progress. I am well within the mark when I say that all the armies that ever marched and all the navies that were ever built and all the parliaments that ever sat and all the kings that have ever reigned put together have not affected the life of man upon this earth as powerfully as has that one solitary life. One time Jesus famously asked his followers, who do people say that I am? And then he turned to them and he said, and who do you say? that I am. And to answer that, we need to be sure who did Jesus say that he is. And reading on through what happened in that great celebration of light, on the last and greatest day of celebrations, here in John chapter 7, as the priests were pouring out water, specially brought from the pool of Siloam in their offerings for a thanksgiving service there in the temple, suddenly, it says, Jesus stands up and he shouts, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. And then Jesus, uh, it, it's explained by, what John, uh, by John what Jesus was talking about, that he wasn't really talking so much about water there, but he was talking about the Holy Spirit, who anybody who believes in him will later receive. Again, who is Jesus? What do you think? 
Jesus said, I'm the bread of life. And, and they would understand when they heard that, that basically didn't just mean bread, it, it meant basic food. And he talked about them, the food that we all need. They knew that God gave them manna in the wilderness, miraculously to feed them, to coming out of slavery in Egypt. Um, he says, I'm the bread of life. And then here again, as part of their special national celebrations, when they're remembering how as a nation, God himself saved them in the past when they were all so thirsty out in the desert and Moses again provided for them this water that flowed out from a rock while they're celebrating that Jesus then comes along and says come to me come to me let anybody who's thirsty come to me and drink see what could be more essential than bread and water and Jesus says I am that essential to your life whatever else we might think that we need clothes or Wi-Fi or, or, you know, we need food and we need drink. And Jesus said, that's how much you need me. You need me more than that. Think about what you consider essential in your life. We, we do need clothes, but I don't think I need quite so many as I've got in my wardrobe and my uh, chest of drawers. And you know, most of the things that we have are luxuries and not essentials. In my bathroom, there are all kinds of shampoos and conditioners, but I could probably make do with soap. People in many nations would look at all of the luxuries that I have, the things that I think that they're essentials. Zoe and I have got a car that we share. Um, I also have a bike or two. To be honest with you, I hardly use them. Today, we're praying for the leaders of the world who've gathered in Scotland, that they will make wise choices about how we best steward the earth. But it starts with you and it starts with me and the choices that we make. See, God is not against us having things. The Bible says he provides all things richly for our enjoyment. But as somebody once said, how can we live more simply so that others may simply live? So many things we could live without. Even bread, although I do like bread, but not water. We couldn't live without water. 60% of your body is water. Every cell needs hydration. Less than three days without water and you're dead. And Jesus is saying, I'm that vital to you. Come to me and drink. He's saying, I'm essential to your life. Not just to existence, but to actual living. Do we see Jesus as that vital? Have you realised how important Jesus is? And then as you read on, they're all arguing again. Some say he's the Messiah, others say he's the prophet. Just the other week, I was talking to an Uber driver, a Muslim guy. By the end of the talk, I was convinced that he knew more about the Bible. He, and he knew more about Jesus, who he called Isa, than most of the Christians that I, that I talk about. He knew more about our scriptures than 90% than of Christians. And, and he was very complimentary about Jesus, or as I say, Isa, as he called him. And he, he said that he recognised that he was a miraculously born prophet who performed many miracles, that one day he would return to judge the earth. But he categorically did not believe that Jesus is the Son of God. That's the huge difference maker. And as you follow the passage here and now, the Pharisees, who, who didn't even believe he was a prophet, tried to have Jesus arrested. But the temple police that they sent to go and arrest him just sit there open-mouthed as they listen to him. And they come back and they say, nobody ever spoke like this man did. They try and trap him next, as you go into the next chapter, by send, sending a, uh, well, they stand a woman in front of him and they want Jesus to judge her for her sexual sin. And he basically says, fine, uh, whichever one of you is perfect gets to cast the first stone. 
And then in verse 12, as you follow on to, he's going to say something more about who he really is. He's spoken about bread and water. And now this is astonishing when you realise the place and the time and the event that was going on. This is called the illumination of the temple. Again, to remind them of God's rescue and goodness and, and how in the past God led them by that, um, that pillar of fire and uh, 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 the, the cloud, the bright cloud in the daytime, the bright light at nighttime. And, and it was God himself present with them for 40 years. And how he took them out of slavery and into the promised land because they followed the light and it says here that he was speaking in the treasury of the temple it says in verse 20 and at the start of the week of celebrations four huge candelabras over 20 meters high would be lit by the priests their branches were, were fed it was like like a tree kind of thing that was made basically the, the the oil would flow up internally and they would be fed by these golden bowls full of oil and the flames would leap up to the sky while everybody then lit their own personal smaller lamp to join in can you imagine the sight so without electricity just picture this the whole city of jerusalem would be lit up and could be seen for miles and miles around that city there was on the hill and it was ablaze with light but now that's been happening all week but now this is the end of the festival the end of the feast and eventually the, all of the lamps in the temple that had been fed by human hands faded and flickered and dimmed and died out and then right when the temporary light of candles diminished and darkness began to take over again in the city Jesus makes this stunning second claim this I am claim remember every time he says I am he's saying uh, he's taking God's name upon himself and he says I am the light of the world that's the claim there's a claim and there's a promise for you to take hold of today there were all these lamps you see that they had and they'd all gone out now but Jesus did not say I am the lamp of the world he said I am the light of the world even the best of human solutions can only temporarily bring a little light to bear and it soon runs out all my life people have talked and worried and come up with ideas and proposals and solutions about how we can keep the lights on and in the world uh, and it seems to me the world is getting darker and it's a darker place to be i read an article uh, that made me really sad about the rising number of young people in the west who are saying now that they they don't think they're not going to have children um, because they're so fearful about the environmental issues and they can only envisage a dark future and why would we bring children into that world you see this could be a very dark time this could be a very dark weekend if you have no hope, if you, de if you decide in instead to celebrate the darkness, it can be very dark indeed. If you celebrate Halloween, um, you can be made to feel these days like you're the weird one if you and your children don't dress up and join in the celebration of witchcraft and wickedness and, and sorcery and spirits and Satan that really is at the heart of these celebrations. But right at the start of John's Gospel, we read these words about Jesus. John chapter 1 verse 1 very famously says in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God he was with God in the beginning through him all things were made without him nothing was made that has been made he's talking here about Jesus Christ how he existed before anything else existed how he made it all and rules it all even now verse 4 in him was life and that life was the light of all mankind. If you want light, you need this life 
in you that only Jesus Christ can bring. And then look at this, verse 5. The light shines, that's present tense. It's shining now. This light is still shining. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not, will not, cannot overcome it. I want to talk more about that tonight at Ivy Central. Don't miss it. Yes, there's darkness. There's always been darkness. There always will be darkness. But there's no darkness or demon, no wickedness or witchcraft that will ever overcome or extinguish the light of the world. No, the light extinguishes the darkness. And then skip down to verse 9 in John chapter 1. You see how, how much John loves to write about how Jesus is the light. 20 times in his gospel he writes about Jesus being the light. Verse 9, the true light that gives light to everybody was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognise him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, that's the difference maker. To those who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of a husband's will, but born of God. Have you, see, have you ever had that happen to you? To be born of God, born again. Some people mock about becoming a Christian and they say, oh, have you seen the light? Have you ever had people say that to you? Oh, have you seen the light? But seeing the light isn't what changes you. This says millions of people saw the light when he came to the world, but they didn't recognise him. And so they didn't receive him. Have you received the light? That's the real question. What if today is the day? Last Sunday, I asked the question about whether people wanted to receive Jesus, the bread of life. And five people here in Didsbury said, yes, that's what I want. I want to receive Jesus Christ. I want to follow him. How about you today, right where, wherever you are? Jesus is the light of the world there with you. And his light is the light of life. And his light is eternal. And it will never, ever go out. And once you get that light in you, the light of Jesus will never dim. It will never fade. It will never go out. And, and Jesus doesn't want anybody to be in the dark about it. So he declares, I am the light of the world. That's the claim. And then there's the promise. He says, and whoever follows me, whoever follows me, this isn't a promise for everybody. Notice, it's not, it's not automatic either. It's for his followers. Is that you yet? Are you sure? Whoever follows Jesus Christ will never walk in darkness but will have the light of life. Now, this doesn't mean you're not going to go through dark times. Everybody goes through dark times. But when you go through them in the world, you have the light of the world to follow and with you that the darkness will never, ever put out. Times may be dark, but you will never walk in darkness. The light will lead you through because you won't just see the light. You will... Have the light inside of you. Later on, it, it, Jesus, Jesus even says, you'll be the light. You'll have the light of life if you believe, if you receive, if you follow. When I was 21 years of age, I was invited to an event at a church and I had not been, any near, I'd been nowhere near any kind of church setting for over a decade at that point. I went along out of curiosity about the person who invited me, who's now my wife, because I could see something different in her that now I know was that light of life. 
And, and I was a bit confused. I was even a little bit suspicious because I wasn't into all of that religious stuff. And, and I thought of myself as basically a good person who didn't really need God, even if he existed, which I doubted. I, di I didn't know it, but I was in the dark at that point. And there was some music that night that wasn't too bad. And then the lights on the stage went out and a group of young people were spotlighted as they came out and did a drama, a kind of mime, really, that I've never forgotten since. And uh, it was set to a reading that now I know comes from John's Gospel. I'd never heard the words before, but if you want, again, a free copy of John's Gospel, just ask us for one. And these words came out and they really jumped out at me. And I can still remember a, a young man in a white T-shirt who uh, I appeared to be Jesus and how they took him and they ended up pulling him up on a stepladder as he stretched out his hands and he was like nailed up as if he was on the cross. And as all of this was happening, a voice read, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son so that whoever believes in him shall not perish but will have everlasting life. The most, important, the most um, famous verse in the Bible really. But then it goes on, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only son. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds may be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be plainly seen that what they've done has been done in the sight of God. Maybe you've heard that first line, John 3:16, before, but the image in the sketch and the, the line that grabbed my heart that wanted to expose its reality was people love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. And I knew that was true for my time in the police because I've worked lots of lates and many nights and night shifts and seen how people did things in the dark where they thought that nobody could see that they would never do in the light. But then I had this sick feeling inside of me too because I knew it wasn't just true of them. As Jesus was being nailed up, that line nailed me. Everyone who does evil will not come into the light for fear their deeds will be exposed. But I got really good at hiding the truth. So I didn't come into the light that night. I just pretended in some way and put it off and, and the preacher did his best and it was good. But I wanted to stay and hide in the dark and carry on as I was. And that's the nature of what the Bible calls sin. There's this battle going on inside of me between darkness and light. And the battle is always between darkness and light. Always from the beginning. Open up the Bible right at the beginning, book of Genesis, and it says, let there be what? Let there be light. And all the way through the Bible, from the beginning there in Genesis, right then to the end in Revelation, where the Alpha and the Omega says, to the thirsty I will give water as a gift from the spring of the water of life. So let everybody who is thirsty come. That place is described where there is no need of sun or moon to shine because the glory of the Lord, the light of the Lord, will be what all nations will walk by. Nothing unclean will enter, but those who overcome will inherit. And there will be no more night, it says. That's our future. 
But until then, the battle remains the same. In every heart, every life, every family and nation, every place, every time, the war between darkness and light, and the darkness will never win. So, which side are you on? To not choose sides, you chose a side. And I could tell you about how I became a Christ follower and the decision that I made. You know, I hang around long enough, I'll tell you all about it. But you don't need all the details. From, but from my perspective, when I owned up to the darkness, Jesus put the lights on. That's it. And in fact, he didn't just put the lights on, he put the light in. He put the light in me and he'll do it for you too if you ask him today. Because he doesn't just want us to not walk in darkness, he also wants you and me to be the light of the world. We're praying in a moment, but before I'm done, you look at Matthew chapter 5, verse 14, the, the, the Sermon on the Mount, it's famously called. The same Jesus who said, I am the light of the world, says in verse 14 there to his followers, you are the light of the world. Oh, wow. You are the light of the world. That's what he wants, you and me, this church, all of our lights shining, the darkness can't win. Remember how at the feast, there were these great lanterns that were lit and blazed and everybody had their lights too. And because of that, you could see Jerusalem lit up from miles away at night. Well, he says this, you are the light of the world, a city. What? A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Cannot be hidden. That light cannot be hid. A city set upon a hill, that can't be hid. That's what we're meant to be. We went and drove through Blackpool this week and saw the illuminations. Amazing. No matter how dark it is this winter, why don't you pray with me that God will turn the lights on, switch the lights on. I'm going to pray line by line. And if you agree and if you can repeat it under your breath, maybe until we say amen at the end, which means I fully agree with that statement, <laughs> then let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you that you came into this dark world not to condemn it not to curse the darkness but to be the light of the world i'm sorry and i turn now from anything and everything that is wrong that is secret shameful or evil shine your light on every darkness in my life and i know that those who walk in darkness can't follow you so now i ask you to lead me in your mercy Thank you for the forgiveness you made possible on the cross, the free gift of life that only you can bring me. I know that only you can satisfy me, so please come now and turn the light on, the light inside of me to guide me as I follow you now and always. If you agree with that prayer, the word we say is, Amen. Thanks for listening. For more podcasts, go to ivychurch.org media.